in a Jeep. There were like 20 of us. I didn't even know how we, how we all fit. And we held onto the sides and we were bumping down these roads in rural India. And it was this crazy journey. And, and everyone was silent the whole time until this one kid started to say the words, we are free. And the other kids started to say, we are free. And they started to laugh <laughs> and they started to sing the words and they would clap for hours. And it was just in that moment, it was why we do what we do. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. My name is Jay Shetty and I'm so, so grateful that you're back here. And grateful is the right word. It's the week of gratitude. If you're in the US, you're celebrating Thanksgiving or Friendsgiving. If you're all around the world, it's just a great excuse to get together with people that you love, people that you want to connect more deeply with, share an incredible, meaningful meal and conversation where you can go deeper in your relationships. And this week's episode is something a little bit special that I wanted to share with you. There has been a charity, a movement, a community that I've been wanting to get involved with for a very, very long time. I know some of my friends have been involved. They've had incredible experiences. And this is something that I'd been thinking about for a long, long time. So I'm really, really happy to share this episode with you. Recently, I got to travel to Vancouver and be a part of We Day. Now, We Day, if you've never heard of it, is where 20,000 kids are rewarded for their service that they do throughout the year with a one-time event. And this event is where celebrities, musicians, influencers, speakers are on the stage to share empowering messages. And actually, when I went out there to actually share my message with this audience, I was the one who left inspired because each and every one of these kids has worked tirelessly throughout the year to serve, to make a difference in the life of others. And the We Day is part of the We Movement or the We Charity. And just just listen to this for a second. They have 1,500 schools and schoolrooms built around the world, providing a quality education to kids who don't have access to it. 30,000 women plus around the world have been empowered with financial independence and 200,000 children have access to education due to the incredible work of WE. Now, I got to sit down with Craig Kilberger, who is the CEO and founder of WE, and you're going to hear our interview just before we both went on to stage. And so I can't wait to hear this week. We're in the week of gratitude. It's Thanksgiving, it's Friendsgiving. And even if you're not celebrating, isn't it always the right time for us to stop, take a moment to be really grateful for what we have, grateful for the opportunity to serve and grateful to add perspective to the incredible life we have. So I just want to say thank you. I'm grateful to each and every one of you for the community we're building here. And I'm excited to introduce you to We Charity through Craig Kittleberger. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. And you know that I love sharing this platform with incredible change makers in the world who are doing unbelievable things. And I love sharing their story with you because I want us to realize that no matter who you are, where you're from, you can have an impact, you matter, and you can change the world. So today's guest is none other than Craig Kilberger. Now today we are actually recording from We Day Vancouver. For those of you that don't know We Day, it's a series of youth empowerment events 
organized by the We Charity. Today, we're celebrating 20,000 kids who have had an impact on local and global issues. He's an internationally acclaimed speaker, social entrepreneur, and New York Times bestselling author who inspires people to empower themselves to make a significant impact on the world. Now, listen to this. This is insane. At a young age, Craig realized that an individual, even a 12-year-old, has the power to change the world. He and his brother, Mark, committed themselves to the effort to stop child labor, organizing a project called Free the Children. The initiative grew into a lifelong commitment to effecting positive change around the world and eventually led to the WE movement. He's received 15 honorary degrees and doctorates for his effort to promote education and human rights. He's also been awarded the Nelson Mandela Freedom Medal, the Order of Canada, the World's Children Prize, and was named Canada's most admired public sector CEO in 2015. Craig, it's an honor to have you here, honestly. Uh, very kind of you to say that. When, Thank you for being with us. And, and the part that you left there is you're about to get up on stage with us and inspire all these kids. I'm going to try. In person <laughs> with the message that they get to hear through the podcast. I'm so excited. I was here earlier. I was here yesterday when we were actually rehearsing. I mean, the stays that you put on, I, I bumped into some of the kids outside and their energy and just, I've been such a fan and follower of We for such a long time. Thank you. So not only Very is nice. it a huge honor that on my first We Day, it's it's my first We Day, I guess that's a uh, Love that you're that's here. But uh to, to be with you on my first wee day is is the biggest honor, but honestly- Very gracious. The feeling is more than mutual as I listen to the podcast as everyone does right now who's listening also. So thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I want to get straight into it. Please. Because hands. I know we both literally have to go on stage. Absolutely, now, yes. Uh, but, but I want to go straight into it. And the, what I want to start off with is where does a 12-year-old hear about child labor? Like where does a 12-year-old even learn about that sort of an issue and feel that- they can do something about it. Yeah, well, to be very honest, it's not as dramatic as as, as you <laughs> might have said in, in that because I was actually looking for the comics in the paper and I was reaching for that. In the front page, there was the story about this child slave. His name was Iqbal. He was killed when he was 12 years old in Pakistan. He had been sold when he was four. He spoke out and was killed. And that story made me so angry. I tore it out from the newspaper. I shoved my backpack and I brought it to class and and I asked my friends, would you join me? And I'll, I'll never forget, it was 11 hands went up. So plus me, 12 of us, we were all 12 years old at the time. So we called ourselves the group of 12, 12 year olds. Oh, wow. But it's like all, Ocean's 12. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to change the 12. world. Yeah. Uh, but it, it really wasn't that dramatic of a beginning. Like we weren't searching for a cause. I wasn't one of those kids who was trying to change the world. I was looking for the comics. But I also believe that's important when I share that story with kids today, because I think that we live our lives so often expecting some dramatic moment, like a mm. booming voice on the road to Damascus or the moment we get shoved in the direction of a bus and say, like, no, you know, the truth is every day we have these small things like a newspaper story or a friend who needs help. And it's around our daily path. It's, it's whether we choose to act or not. In my case, I was so young, kind of naive, to be honest, that I said, well, of course I can help. And I think we need more of that youthful naivety. And that's what we try to nurture with kids today and tap mm. into. Yeah, I think it's so important that we think like kids again. Yes, uh, a basic sense of right and wrong and just and unjust that young people have. I think we lose that as we become adults. And we never need to, we have to hold that wonder and that awe, that sense of of right and wrong as being a kid. I love that. Yeah, that, that childlike curiosity to look at things with fresh eyes. Yes. To look at something as if you're looking at it for the first time again. Yes. Because I think so often as we grow up, we just keep seeing things and we get immune to it and we get numb to it. Well, and, and for anyone who, so I'm a parent now. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not yet. You're not, not yet. yet. Okay. Not yet. But in so the planning. <laughs> anyone who's a parent, you, you see like your son and your daughter or, you know, aunts or uncles, et cetera, who are out there, they stop when they see a homeless person. We've become so used to that in our society. 
you know, that's something that I just think is so powerful, this idea of how do we nurture, again, that basic sense of right and wrong, that empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we could tap back into that, I think we'd solve some of the critical issues facing our world. I'm, I'm totally with you. Tell me about how it felt when you helped the pers- first person you ever helped. Like, yeah, what so did, how, tell me about that experience. Sure. What it felt. So how the first, the story started, I was 12, yes. read that story, got my class involved, mm-hmm. and started exchanging letters with this human rights activist in India mm-hmm. at the time because I knew nothing about child labor. And and this was 1995. So we like, there was, couldn't just pop on Google. So I went to the local library, found this address, started writing letters to this man. And he said, if you really want to understand what's going on, you've got to come to Asia and see it with your own eyes. Mm-hmm. So I sit down with my mom and my dad in September, four months later, and say, Mom, Dad, I got a plan. I'm going to go to Asia. I want to research child labor. Like, I'm a kid from the suburbs. I, you know, this is my parents look at me like, you can't, you're not allowed to take the subway by yourself. <laughs> you can't go to Asia. And I kept pleading, kept begging. I found a chaperone who would take me as a family friend. And we set off on this incredible journey. And I was 12 at the time, had a 13th birthday on it. And this activist hosted us. His name was Kalish Satyarti. Yeah. Yeah, so you know Kalish. I just did a fundraiser for him on YouTube last year. There you year go. Well. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So little known at the time. Yes, this was yes, again 25 years before ago. Before he won his no, Nobel yeah, Peace Prize. Yes, absolutely. And so we were, you know, with Kalish uh, going on rescues and freeing child slaves. We spent time with Mother Teresa. Uh, you know, she just was there. We walked into the mother house and sitting down with her and found the family of this young child slave in Pakistan. And there was this trade delegation that was happening. Total fluke. I'm Canadian. And the Prime Minister of Canada at the time uh, was traveling, uh, signing trade deals, but not talking about human rights. And so the local paper in India printed his hotel. <laughs> and so I showed up at the hotel. And I said, I, I'm Canadian. I'd like to meet the Canadian. It's a buzz off kid. And so I wrote him this letter. And I got it photocopied at Kinko's, basically, and started to slide it under every door in the hotel, figuring I'd get him eventually. Uh, and security stopped me. Not allowed to do that, apparently. And I said, you should hold a press conference. And with these two free child slaves held a press conference at the hotel where the prime minister was saying, had really no idea what I was doing. Like BBC was there and CNN was there. And I just, you know, I had no idea. Kept traveling two, three days later. I go home, I, you know, I call home, still in Asia at this point. My mom answers the phone. She's like, what the heck is going on? You're on the press and all this. And that was how we started from that tiny, actually, my mother said, you know, this makes me sound as a mother. I don't know where you are in Asia and you're 13. <laughs> um, I can't believe they didn't go with you. It was a different yeah, age. Like we didn't have yeah. cell phones. We didn't have email really that much. You were writing letters? Yeah, I was writing letters. My parents were school teachers. They had to work. They couldn't get the time off work. Uh, so this trip ch- completely changed my life. And I got back home and the stories of these kids and started to share them in speeches. And 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 the organization started to grow from their very grassroots mm. and step by step by step. And you know now we work with about a million kids around the world and 1,500 schools and clean water and medical programs. And it's it's. 25 years later. That is unbelievable. I absolutely love that story. Like, and, and I know that's like the quick version of it. Oh, is man. That, yeah. yeah, we had that's a lot it. of ups yeah. and downs and honestly, a yeah. lot of failures along the way. Uh, and, and I almost feel badly telling it that quick because I don't talk about the failures enough because yeah. we had so many failures that helped us to understand what really sustainable development is. Mm. Like we used to kick down the doors and free kids. We quickly realized that wasn't enough. Yes. We had to provide safety and clean water and medical and alternative income cooperatives. And now we call it uh, We Villages. It's five pillars and it supports the village on average five years. And we target regions of extreme poverty where there's human trafficking and there's violence, but to prevent that from happening in the first place with Mm -hmm. kids. Uh, So it's it's a lot of learning over those years. Yeah, I think a lot of people today 
find it very overwhelming when they think about supporting and service and help. Yes. Often we steer away from looking at articles or videos mm -hmm. of this nature or we kind of try and hide away or we get involved, but then we get overwhelmed very quickly. How did you decide what was important for you to focus on? Because I think yeah. that's partly the struggle that anyone listening or watching today may have is just, Craig, there's so much stuff going on in the world. Where do I start? What do I do? How did you decide what Absolutely. was important? Well, if I can answer your question yeah. in two ways. Go. So it, we have a very unusual mission as a charity, and it's not to drill wells or to build schools. We do that, mm -hmm. but our actual mission is to make doing good doable. Mm. And some people are like, what the heck does that actually mean? Uh, because when I was 12 and I picked up the phone and started calling other charities and said, I'm a kid. I want to help. Can I come volunteer? Can I get involved? Can I get a school involved? What can I do? And they said, you could send money. I said, but I'm a kid. <laughs> I have a lot <laughs> of money, money to send. <laughs> like, what else can I do to help? And, and that realization that so much of how people think about changing the world is very transactional. It's very limited. Mm. Uh, and so what we do today is try to answer the question. Our actual mission is to make doing good doable for especially young people out there, but not exclusively. So we now have 20,000 schools that run service groups based learning. So we help students learn by doing through service. So I know this sounds totally different from what I just described, but I'll connect it all together, I promise. So in schools across America and Canada, students will learn their biology by testing water in their community, or they'll learn their computer science by coding apps for nonprofits. So they learn by doing through service. They discover all these important causes in the world, local and global. They do tens of millions of hours of service with us. We actually had this really cool program in the U.S. called AP with We Service. You know, uh, AP Advanced Placement Courses. So you can actually get recognition on your college transcript now for the work that you do with us when you're applying to college. All these great programs. And we help students with mentorship and coaching and microgrants and support to get started so that they can set something up, whether it's helping us globally or any cause. It actually doesn't matter to us. We help youth take action to help over 7,000 different causes every year because really our belief system is if we could have ordinary individuals each doing their one part of the puzzle, then we can actually unlock the impact we all need to see in the world. But it is only when ordinary individuals all step up, there's a greater power in that than the Bill Gateses and the 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 the, the people of all the well-knowns of the world. We need to tap in the ordinary individuals en masse, daily actions to better the world. So to answer your question, ask for help. I asked for a lot of help when I was a kid. Oprah was really, really, really helpful when you're a kid um, starting a charity. But my parents, my teachers, my mentors, and now we try to give that help to other young people out there who want to change the world. What I love, love, love about that is I think you're spot on. I think the biggest challenge is we don't know how to engage people and we don't know how to engage resources, especially the human resource or the human potential. Yes. And when you talk about service-based learning, I mean, I'm I'm like so happy hearing well, it, that. It like, literally takes what you talk about, by the way, in your podcast yes. and tries to infuse this idea of living a life of purpose yes. right into our education systems. 100%. Because why is it we suddenly, you know, have to attack it outside of schools and things like this? Why aren't we learning? What's the purpose of education? Yes. It is, we should learn Spanish by helping a new immigrant fellow government forms. 100%. We should learn, you know, uh, when it comes to art class by raising awareness on mental health. Mm -hmm. Like this is what we're putting into schools for millions of young people and they find their purpose at a very young age. Plus they actually do better academically. Yeah. So like for a whole bunch of reasons, this is a good thing. Yeah. And, and it's more meaningful to them. Yes. Like yes. The, the personal satisfaction and contentment. Absolutely. That you receive from doing service and getting close to that feeling early on in life. You know, there's a lot of crises in the world and we, we deal with them. Like globally, there's a, a lack of clean water access. You know, we, we know here in, in, in America, we're doing a whole push right now on youth mental health and curriculum in schools. 
but there is a crisis of purpose. And, and I know I'm preaching to converted on this one. No, but I want to, but, yeah. but, but there is a crisis of purpose that we live in a world today where people are searching and struggling. They're saying there's got to be something more. There's got to be more than the nine to five job. And school and society does not help us realize that the greatest purpose, I believe it, I'm going to lobby here on this one, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the, the pinnacle of it all is when our life is dedicated to something greater than ourselves. 100%. And why can't we help introduce people to that in the most formal way, which is school, so we learn all that we learn, all these skills, all this memorizing. We can actually put a purpose to education yeah. to unlock our own potential to better the world. 100%. I'm totally with you. Every, everything you're saying just makes me so happy. Like, but it's I happening. This is the cool yeah, part. Yeah, like when we were say. kids, I don't know if it was the same for yeah. you. We were, I was shoving to lockers. It yeah, was so sure. uncool yes, to want absolutely. to change the world. Absolutely. Like that's why we created We Day. We filled stadiums with youth who earned their way here through their purpose, mm. through service, because we wanted to make sure that they knew that they weren't alone. Mm. In the same way that we want to put this into school so the next 12-year-old kid doesn't pick up the phone and go, I have no idea how to change the world. Mm. We want to support them through that journey. Tell me about the first We Day. Today we're going to go out. There's 20,000 kids yes. out there. There's a concert set. I mean, the, the visuals here are absolutely stunning. Thank you. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a beautiful stage. But there's 20,000 people. Yeah. Tell me about the first ever We Day. What so went right, first, what went wrong? Well, I got to even go further back. Yeah, go what inspired We Day? Yeah. So we were in, uh, oh my gosh, where were we? We were in the um, Andes Mountains with the Purahe Indians, the indigenous people of that region. And we were building a school. We One of the things we do is we bring, as you know, people on volunteer trips. Mm -hmm. Lily Singh's done this, et cetera. People, but a lot of, you know, people of all walks of life, thousands of people do this with us. And they come overseas and we'll build and we'll teach and we'll engage in community service. And on one particular build, our supplies arrived late. We turned to the village chief. We said, we can't finish the school in time. Don't worry about more volunteers coming in. She says, I'm going to call a Minga. What's a Minga? She takes a few steps outside of her home. She shouts this word in her language in Quechua, Minga, super loudly. Everyone understands except us. Like the men drop their tools. The women start gathering together. The kids all come running. Then the kids go running to the neighboring villages and the neighboring villages and the neighboring villages. And there's no phones, no electricity here, but they spread this through word of mouth. And dozens and then a hundred and then hundreds of people pour out and they build the school together. I'm like, this is so amazing. What is a Minga? And the chief basically explained that in her language, this word is a sacred word. Anyone can invoke it. But when you hear the word, you have to stop whatever you're doing and you have to help each other. You come together for these collective good projects like building a school. And she was explaining this in her language and to the translator. And then she turns and says, what's the word in English? Like, but there it's what a great one. question. I know. It's like, what's the word Stop. Like, downtown New York that you would say and like strangers would go, oh my God, I'm here to help you. You know, it, it's it's like we were... So we caught back home and thought, that is so amazing. We want to call a Minga. Mm. And at the root of it, the fundamental idea is it's, it's, it's how do you shift what you're doing from good for self to good for others? It's mm -hmm. from me to we. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's how we actually thought to translate this word. It's from me to we, this idea of this Minga, this we're all in this together, this higher purpose. So we wanted to organize our first day that embodied this uh, it was in Toronto where we were from. We put a message out to students. You know, we said, we're going to fill this tiny arena. You have to prove to us that you did service and helped a cause. And if you can prove it somehow, like bring in like sign sheets, it was crazy the first year. We'll let you in. We'll have this giant event and we'll have inspirational speakers. We'll celebrate. No idea what was going to happen. So many people, 8,000 people showed up inside. We ran out of seats. They <laughs> filled the parking lot venue with thousands more. We're like, this is crazy. Not well organized and crazy. And there is something here. And when we started to ask people why they showed up, they said they didn't want to feel alone. Wow. 
because they saw so much negativity in the world, they wanted to be with others who were positive and creating good. And we said, oh my goodness. And from that, we've now organized over 130 of these wow. in cities around the world. Mm -hmm. We were just in Nottingham last week. Uh, we've got, you know, from the Caribbean to Europe to U.S. and L.A. and different cities and New York, Chicago and Canada. And, and it's gathering these incredible just groups of people who it's free to come. We've got to prove the good you've done. I know. And the people get up on stage and they share their causes. And it's like Ted meets Coachella, but to change the world and a full day celebration. It's It's genius. I, thank you. Um, but it, it's it, absolutely genius. But it's only because of people like yourself who get up there and inspire the kids. And the coolest part is I think this is the only event where the heroes are in the audience. Yeah. Like everyone gets up there and they're <laughs> like, you're the best. 100%. Like is like, I love you. Yeah. And Terry's like, I want to be like you. Yeah, and the yeah. audience is so much Yeah, they're the inspiration. They really are. They're yes. the inspiration. And that's what I loved about the program, that the fact that everyone turning up had done service to yes. be here. Yes. And, and I thought that was such a special and unique thing because usually at these events, you're standing up and you're trying to say, oh, we should serve more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And here I'm going to go up and be like, oh, you're already yes. doing that. Like, well, you know, it's, and, it's, and really what they're looking to you for is they're like, what's the next cause? How yes. can we? And everyone's got, they get on stage. Yes. And whether it be like, you know, Muhammad Yunus talking about microcredit. We got kids like pin drop silent. Like, how do I make a difference on this? Mm. You know, or Richard Branson on social entrepreneurship, or like, you know, uh, you know, Megan and Harry talking about mental health and and connecting it together. Mm. It's it's you know, or Gorbachev. I'll never forget as he stood up there and he said, literally, we came within minutes of launching nuclear warheads. Like, you don't understand. This world was almost not here. Mm. Like, you know, you have these conversations, and then the other cool part is it's matched with young people. Yeah. And the local poet and change maker, and it's like popcorn, 30 seconds. What did you do? What did you do? What did you do? And it gives other people ideas. Yeah. And I think the greatest thing is that you're allowing kids into the conversation. Yes. Because I think for a lot of us, even when I was young, you always felt, oh, I had to be older to be a mm. part of making a change. Yes. Or I'll be taken seriously when I get older. Or yes. that's an adult conversation. Like yeah. you can't get involved. And that's what I love the most is we days letting kids into the conversation. Absolutely. So that they're thinking about this much earlier. Tell, Absolutely. Tell me a bit about you as you were saying that your parents were teachers. Yes. And so that's why they couldn't get the holiday to come with you. Yeah. Tell me about something that they learned. How much of your desire for changing the world and impact, what have, what have your parents taught you? Oh my God, everything. Like <laughs> sincerely. And, 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 I, and I, I know sometimes that's a cursing and a blessing in people's lives. And in my case, that's a, it's a deep blessing. So to understand, I never knew so much of my own parents' journey, honestly, until I was a teenager later on in life. So for example, here's my mom would never walk past a homeless person. And I never understood that. Like other, I thought it was normal until I saw other parents who would do it. And she would always stop. Sometimes she'd give money. Sometimes she wouldn't. Often she would choose to. And I know some people have their own opinion on that, but that's her choice. And she would always ask them their name. Mm. And here's the kicker. I didn't know until I was a teenager that when my mom was growing up, uh, she, I knew she lost her father, my grandfather, but I didn't know that times were so bad that they ended up uh, not being able to afford their rent. And so they ended up living in a public land in parks. So my mom was homeless for part of her childhood. And and this is something we never talked about, but it, she just kept it as a guiding principle in how she would engage with others, remembering that it's not by fault or by choice. Sometimes just Life happens. Mm. And in her case, you know, it was extenuating circumstances that she ended up and her, you know, it's a beautiful story. My my grandmother ended up borrowing uh, some money to teach herself how to touch type at night. And uh, while well, she was scrubbing floors during the day and, you know, a chambermaid back in the day. And she read in the paper about um, a local high school burning down. And she showed up at Chrysler's 
and said, I am a high school graduate. She hadn't finished elementary school. And they said, prove it. And she said, you know, that high school burned down. Those had my high school records. She was, but put me in front of any touch type typewriter and I will touch type faster than anyone else. And that's the only time that someone would have learned how to, to touch type would have been in high school. Mm-hmm. So she basically faked her way into her. this secretary's job that to the day that she died at 98 years old, she never let me tell that story because she was convinced Christ would take away her pension. <laughs> and, but I, I, I love the fact that if it wasn't for that kindness of that one moment that mm. turned my mom's life around and she became a teacher and as a result I had it. And you look at how life is so such a roll of the dice. Mm. Like you get to sit and we get to same on the weekday stage, welcome these incredible change makers, icons and activists and heroes. And, and sometimes they're there because they have an incredible talent, but a lot of times it was a total roll of the dice of luck. Mm. And, and I think that if we approach life with a little bit more humility in that way, we realize that there, but for the grace of God separates myself and someone else's in the reality. We will have that empathy and that compassion to reach out and support others through their own tough times. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And and I think it's those moments of humanity almost. Yes. That sometimes your day can just go without. Like you can just yes. miss those moments of humanity. Where, yes. Whether it's saying hello or asking the name of a homeless person or speaking to your Lyft or Uber driver in our yes. world. Or 100%. You know, just stopping and pausing yeah. for the person who opened the door for you. Yes. What, whatever those moments are can, can actually trigger so much. For the other person, but also yourself. For yourself too, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Tell me about the people, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times, and that's why I'm interested to get your perspective. When people say, Craig, like, I get it. I want to help, but I've just got so much, you know, it's a very valid thought of like, I've just yeah. got so much personal stuff going on yeah. right now. Like, yes. Like what, what has been your response or understanding of that? When people yeah. are, I'm just dealing with me right now. Forget we like. I, I, understood. Well, yeah. two, two parts. One, that's fair. Mm-hmm. There are points in our lives where we need to support our own well-being. Mm. That's a very fair thing. And we've got to reach out for help and we've got to be willing to accept help. And, and that's incredibly important. Full stop period. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, I'd also add that one of the greatest things we can do for ourselves is actually help someone else. So we do an annual survey. We, we put this out to schools and students across America and across Canada. So we're talking about 20,000 schools. And we ask young people, what's the number one cause you want to take action on? Mm. Any guesses? No, I don't know. Mental so, health. I was going to say mental health. Actually. It's mental yeah, yeah, health. Yeah, but it is. Health. It's like it's yeah. we're hearing. It's like an epidemic. Mm. You know, it's a fifty-six percent rise in the past ten years on youth suicide in America alone. Yes. Like this is crazy. This is unbelievably shocking. This should be you know on the front page of every newspaper. Never mind depression, anxiety, and all the other issues. So we convened an incredible group of advisors. You know, we're now in so many schools. We feel a moral responsibility to help on this. Mm. We, you know, so we've got hundreds of staff. They're coaching schools. They're working. So we brought all these advisors together. Foundations, about South America, Jed Foundation, uh, you know, hospitals, universities. And we sat around a table and said, you know how we can solve part of this? Is to go early enough to build the first K through 12 national mental health curriculum. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great local initiatives, but on scale. Yeah. I mean, tens of thousands of school scale to bring the resources together, to channel them in this way. And so we've been systematically doing that, and the research is powerful. And we're looking at research and behavior. We're looking at research and information. We're looking at biochemical markers like cortisol level tracking, et cetera. One of the most powerful things overwhelmingly that you can do as a young person, if you are facing anxiety, if you are facing 
not clinical, but various factors of depression, if you're facing tough times, is actually to reach out and help someone else. Yes. It triggers, and you know this, and I know this, but I, I really want to make sure, because I, I, I heard this, and it wasn't until I actually looked at the data and the research on a biochemical level, and you go, oh my gosh, there really is a helper's high. Like reaching out to others, that sense of purpose in our lives is, it, it, in some cases, it is actually the thing, there was a psychologist we worked with, and this is an extreme case, but he's made this comment that, you know, you knew, knew a, a client who didn't take their life on Thursday because they knew they had to be volunteering on Friday, yeah. like that someone counted on them, depended on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when you look at those extreme cases, but just doesn't have to be that extreme, just even the anxiety and the perspective and the gratitude and all of that that we get by helping someone else. So, so much of what we're now doing is focused on helping young people to help someone else to truly help themselves in the process. That. Yeah, I love that. And I've dedicated all my content to mental health, like my whole Everything I do is for that. And, you know, when I first started creating content, not realizing, and I'm sure you felt that, like what impact it's going to have. Yes. And I started to receive these messages from all over the world where people would say, Jay, that video just stopped me from committing suicide. Or that one thing that you wrote that saved my relationship or that helped me talk to my parents or whatever, or it helped yes. me come out to my parents or whatever yes. it was. And I just feel like when you hear things like that, you start to recognize, and that's what you're saying, this help is high of that service is that, oh, wow, like even this thing, this three minute thing that I recorded that I had no idea has impacted yes. someone I don't even know. Yes. And and I think when people start to feel that, I mean, right now, I hope you can hear it. We can literally hear the music <laughs> yes. coming. You've built a movement, like you have built a movement and that is not easy. And you built it before social media was at its high. You started before emails and technology was at a space, like you built it and created something. Tell me the pillars, tell us the pillars of building a genuine service-based movement. Like, what does it take? What are the three things, five things, whatever it is for you? What are the pillars? If someone's thinking, I want to start a movement of change, what, what does that take? Couple answers it's to your a question. Question. It's I, a big no, yeah, question. It's a big question. It's a big question. Well, but here's the first thing I would actually say. And this, sure. is, this is the slightly controversial one. Don't. Go and help someone else. Who's no, 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 no. Oh, okay. don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, don't start another movement. Go help someone else. I, like, yeah. in, in, we live in an era where I occasionally have people who come up to me and say, I want to start a charity. Like, th- do, do you want to help someone? Or do you want to start a charity? Like, they could maybe not be the same thing. Like, you know, there are so many great causes that need yes. your help. We live in a world of 1.7 million charities just in America. Oh, wow. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's, big, that's yeah. how many registered charities there are. So and most of them are struggling. Like, a lot most, of them are yeah, struggling. Right, There's right. like 300 people, 300,000 people, uh, 300 million people. Mm-hmm. And then you look at 1.7, like just do the math. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, there are so many causes already that need people's help as volunteers, as donors, as engagers. So the first thing I would say is to really check the humility of why we're great doing quest. this. A great, great, great point. Because you can reach out to so many causes that would love your help. Mm-hmm. And it's easier and you'll have a greater impact. But number two, maybe you have an idea that's fundamentally different. Okay, so now, now we're at that stage. Great. We will actually help you. This, so anyone watching, well, sincerely, we have micro grants. We've got coaching. We've got support. We've got pitch competitions. Like we'll actually help you be a social entrepreneur. This is partially what we do. We make doing good doable. So my second big piece of advice, ask for help. Mm. You don't have to do this on your own. You know, there are people out there like us and other organizations that will exist for this very purpose. And, and what does that mean? Ask for help is get a great board of directors, you know, get a great group of advisors, get a great group of family and friends. Um, and, and then thirdly, I'd, I'd really fundamentally go to, is it an activity or what's the outcome you're driving towards? A lot of people are busy with activities. We do a lot. We've got a lot going on, but what's the outcome? How do we actually solve fundamentally what we're trying to solve in the world? And when we really think of it from that outcome, it'll help sharpen our actions, our plans, and our impact. 
Mm. That's, it's funny you say that because that was exactly the reason I reached out to you. I, I saw your organization doing everything that I would ever dream of, already doing it. Oh. And, and I was just going, I was like, well, why would I, why would you start your own thing? Like, you know, like, why would, why would you so go? Through, yeah, no, no, genuinely, as in you saying, and I was having this conversation literally just on Sunday with a, with a friend who's, we were talking about foundations and charities and developing and creating. And we're just saying, are we creating things for ego mm. to have our name on it, to be able to say that this is what I've achieved and done? Or are we involved because we really care about the change and it doesn't matter whose name's on it? Uh, and who's remembered for it. And and I think that that comes so much closer to my my monk training of like wanting to see a service. And uh, the analogy that we would always give is that of salt. So if you think about salt in a meal, yes. uh, do you cook? Uh, terribly. I, it's me too. So yes. I can't cook to save my yes. life. So anyway, I'm giving a food analogy to yes. someone who doesn't cook. But, but salt is one of those things that if there's not enough salt mm. or there's too much salt, it will always take the blame. Mm. This is too much salt or there's not enough salt. Yes. But if the salt is perfect, no one ever says the salt is perfect. People forget that it even exists. <laughs> and so it's like someone who's That's a awesome. real service is yes. like salt. I love uh, that they just, they're just there. And if it's yes. the perfect amount, yes. then people even forget that I it exists. I love that. And so, so for me, that is that is genuinely the reason I reached yes. out to you and your team you. was because I was just like, yeah, this is so powerful. Service-based learning is my dream if you could teach kids how to serve and to teach them through education, I think is the smartest thing ever. And, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's what I say to often people is like, what's causing you the greatest pain in the world? Mm. Like, where's your pain point? Mm. Find out who's helping that pain point and then go and help them. Yes. Right? Like, yes. because someone's thought of the thing before us. Someone's already tried to build a platform or a program before us. Mm. And assisting is, is a lot of fun because when you're working together, yes, uh, it's powerful. That's beautiful. You've also been working with your brother for 20 plus years. Oh my God. Since tell the us, beginning. Tell us what that is like because oh, 20 years yeah. is a long, long time. <laughs> uh, so when I was a kid, 12 years old, I flailed my arms and I needed help quickly. I, I, I don't is know he older? Young? He's older, older. He's, which is unto itself very cool because how often does the older brother yeah. come to the rescue of the younger brother sure. for an idea? Like it was, it was a crazy childhood to be very honest. Uh, again, trip when I was 12 that we talked about, mm -hmm. came back home. Shortly thereafter, I found myself testifying before congressional committees. I was on the Oprah show when I was 14. Oprah pledged a hundred schools with us. We didn't know how to build 100 schools like back in the day. And suddenly, I'll never forget her. It was, it was, a, it was a multi-million dollar pledge on the show. And her chief operating officer turned to me and said, I want adult supervision to fulfill this. And so the next day, my brother, who was all of uh, – it wasn't even 20 at the time, <laughs> flew in from college. And he's looking at me and looking at my brother going, this is not what I meant by adult supervision. <laughs> like I want an actual organization behind the two of you before we give you millions of dollars to build schools. Uh, and so he and the, you know, it, it, it was this incredible learning and, and through failure and struggles and asking for help. And this, I, I couldn't imagine any other way than doing it with my brother. Mm. And, and, but here's the, also the truth about it, frankly. We were not particularly close growing up because there's almost six years between us. Mm. And so I was in, you know, elementary school. He was, you know, done high school uh, by that point. You know, and, and really what actually brought us together was doing this. Mm. And I think it's one of the great gifts. Again, we talk about how helping others helps yourself. Mm. It's what our family values have now been built around. And I don't want to sound all corny about it, but it's true. It's, it's, yeah. it's something that like our family will actually come together and my parents who are retired school teachers will go overseas in our schools on these family volunteer trips and they'll teach. And, and my brother and I will have a chance to sit around a campfire at the end of the day and we'll have these incredible conversations and we'll have a chance to do this together. 
it just, it is such a gift. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's beautiful that you've been able to do it together. I, I think it, it's testament to you both living it too and, and, and creating it from a really genuine place because, you know, people who are building, it's hard, it's hard to do things with family and close well, friends. And, and, and this is where I owe a huge, like my brother was a Harvard undergrad, Rhodes Scholar, Oxford trained lawyer who walks away from that yeah. and says, I'm going to go help build a children's charity. Yeah. Like unbelievably, almost an enormous debt of gratitude. That's insane. That's amazing. Uh, there's so many things I want to ask you and I know we've got very little time, but one of, one of the big things I, I wanted to talk about, and I want everyone to see it, if you haven't seen it, uh, the documentary, It Takes a Child, oh. uh, which I think is uh, really, really incredible work. I, I, I wanted to ask you, what is one of your favorite memories from that time? Like, Oh, man. You know? That was that first trip I took to Asia when I was a kid in the early startup days. You know, I'll never forget the moment when we had a chance to see these kids literally being freed and seeing light for the first time. These were kids involved in human trafficking situations. And we were driving with them. It, it packed us. There was, in a Jeep, there were 20 of us. I don't even know how we, we all fit. And we held onto the sides. And we were bumping down these roads in rural India and going through rivers. And we had to like tie it and yank it with a, it was this crazy journey. And, and everyone was silent the whole time. And until this one kid um, started to say the words, uh, we are free. And he kept saying it almost in a, in a mantra-like way, in, in his own language, in Hindi, and kept saying it again and again and again. And then he started to turn to others and actually like shake them as if he suddenly kind of realized it's like he woke from a dream. And, and, the, and the other kids started to say, we are free. And they started to laugh <laughs> and they started to sing the words and they would clap. And it, for hours, they just clapped and sang the words, we are free, we are free. And they were clapping and singing and laughing. And it was just in that moment that it was just, it was, it was why we do what we do. That's awesome. I love that. So we end every interview with the final five. It's a quick fire, rapid fire round. Bring it so on. So you can only give one word to one sentence answers Ooh. maximum. It's five. Oh. Okay. okay. Are we ready? Absolutely. Okay. I know this. Question Bring it on. Number one, what is one of your daily habits that you don't compromise on? Can I say talking to my wife? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. That's can a great say habit. one word. I'm like, oh, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Talking to my wife. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Second question. Uh, what gives you the most satisfaction when your head hits the pillow at night? And it can be one sentence. Honestly, thinking of my son. Okay. That's why I do all this. Nice. Okay. Question number three. How do you plan on helping more people in 2020? Oh, asking this amazing host of this podcast that is on purpose, that's incredible to join us overseas to film. Wouldn't you want to see him filming a location with us Let's in do a it. developing country? Let's do it. Let's do uh, it. Let's do it. Okay. You heard Let's that. Let's do it. You cannot edit that out. <laughs> that cannot be edited out. I got your team nodding their head with me. Okay. Question number four. If every kid could experience one thing in their childhood, what should it be? Shameless idealism. Ooh, okay. I, was not expected. I like that. Yes. Okay, we got to dive into the offline. Yes. Uh, a fifth and final question. How can I serve you more? Firstly, keep producing the incredible content you do. And and secondly, let's take this on the road. Let's yeah. go to more We Days. Yeah, let's do let's it. Let's film it backstage, get all the great talent sharing yeah. their stories. Let's do it. And I want to get you whether in India or rural Africa or heading yeah. down the Amazon basin together. I, I can't, together. 100%. Awesome. I love it. Thank, thank you, Craig. Thank, 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 you, thank you so you. much. Thank Thanks. you. I genuinely, truly hoped you loved that episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. I know we did something a little different on Friday. Usually I do a solo episode, but because of it being this special week, I wanted to share this episode with you. It's amazing what we can achieve, what we can do for the world when we apply ourselves, even someone as young as that, as he started, as Craig started, it's incredible what can be achieved. So let's always remind ourselves to wake up tomorrow 
with three things we can be grateful for. Going to sleep tonight with three things that we're grateful for. Living with gratitude day in, day out. Thank you so much. I can't wait for you to hear next week's episode. 